people. And I want to be one of those people. I want God to be my God, and I want to be called one of his people. Nationality and race is uh, an issue that has been before us since the 16th century. In, in the, uh, what would you say, the informed nations? We've been struggling with trying to decide what nationality people are and what race they're from for some reason. If you fill out a form at the hospital or some other clinic, you're going to be asked the question about your race or your nationality. Sometimes, if, you're not, if it's not real clear what you look like physically, people will ask you what nationality you are. If it is clear what nationality you are, you won't be asked that question. But on forms, you're going to be asked the question. What we look like physically and what our culture is has, has made us socially. Uh, society wants to know. And they have struggled with definitions of nationality and race. It's, it's, a, it's a struggle because initially we started out, apparently, in, in the uh, known cultures, started out with with delineating people in terms of the continent that they originated from. The seven continents. Well, of course, one of them, there is no uh, uh, inhabitants like the Antarctica. But the other seven continents, we can say, well, okay, you're a North American, you're a South American, you're an Asian, you're an African, you're an Australian, you're European, and there are about 60 subsets of all these in all these different continents. The politically correct terminology that we're drifting toward, instead of calling for race and nationality, is the word people. Guess who used that first? I will call them my people. He didn't say I'm going to call them my race. He didn't say I'm going to call them my nationality. He said, I'm going to call them my people that were not my people. Let's talk about people. Yep, go back one. Identities of people. How do you identify someone? How do you identify them in terms of where they're from and who they're from? We identify them through anatomy, for one thing, what they look like. We, we traditionally identify them physically in their anatomy by about three different markers. There's only about three different markers that we use to identify someone as to their people, being of what people they're from. These markers are facial structure, hair color, skin color. That's how they're generally identified anatomically. All of which could be attributed to regional and uh, genetic isolation populations. Did you understand that? That means that you could be genetically isolated and you could have a particular genetic uh, allele in your makeup that will carry down through and become sort of a family of identification. 
like hair color or, or facial structure and so forth. It has been offered that there is less than one-tenth of one percent of a difference. I want to say that again. One-tenth of one percent of a difference in humanity, in physical anatomy. Now, that's not much, is it? Of course, we're all blending, aren't we? We're all getting different. We're all taking on different characteristics. The second way you identify a people is through language. What language do you speak? Now, that identifies people to a degree, but it, it doesn't always preclude other people. Take the, take the language English. So people that speak English will not always be from England or from Great Britain or from the Americas. They will not always have that European background. They could be from China and speak English. So you see where you're from and the people you're identified with isn't always attributed to your language. It could be. Culture identifies it in some ways according to our customs. Certain peoples eat certain food. Isn't that correct? Italians eat lots of spaghetti, they say. Things like this. And so people, some people prefer spicy foods and some don't. So the diet sometimes will, de will delineate a people, their dress, what they wear, the type of clothing they wear, the activities they're involved in, and even the location where they live will identify them. And then there's blood. Now, I, that, I, I, I have gone through these three basically. Just, just touch them. Anatomy, language, culture, blood. You say, well, that will identify who you are. But that brings up this 10% of 1%, one-tenth of 1% of all differences. And that includes blood. So you say, well, DNA will tell you where you're from, who you are, what kind of people you are. DNA will do that. Well, what DNA does... Basically, it traces characteristics through known and group individuals. Known individuals and groups. That's what DNA does. It can tell you whether you're male or female, that's for sure. You can get that through, through the uh, alleles. But at the same time, the point is that DNA may tell you what's, what your people are, but basically it's, it's going to take a, a pattern that's already been developed and they've said, okay, these people have these characteristics, but they're not really sure of that because they can only trace it so far back. So the point is, we're tracing groups and societies and so forth, and we're saying, okay, these people, because they have these DNA characteristics, are typed, and we can tell who they're related to by blood. And you can to some degree. That's right. The closer you get, the, clo the, the, the uh, better the odds are that you're going to get it right. Okay, identifying people. Now let's see, how did God identify people? In, in, uh, in the Old Testament, God selected a people. And he started out with a fellow by the name of Abram. And he said he selected the people for his purpose. Now we won't get into that purpose in, entirely, but I'll just tell you this. 
that he selected the people to be able to carry through for a promise to bring good things to us in our generations. He selected these people to carry a bloodline to keep themselves pure so that they could make sure that when the time came that he would have someone, his son in particular, who would come to this earth, who would fulfill prophecies and would die on the cross on our behalf. We all understand that. Abram was was the beginning of this. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord God had said unto Abram, Get out of your country and from your kindred. What he's saying is, Get away from your people. And get out, get out from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. So he's going to take him to a region. And I will make you a great nation. I'll make you a people, is what he's saying. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curses you, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham, and his name was later changed to Abraham from Abram, his biological and ethnic family, Israel, went down into, as a small group, 75 of them, went down into Egypt at one time, and there they were located. This is in northwest corner of Africa, Egypt. And there they went into a part of the land called Goshen. Because the Egyptians didn't want their cattle around, they were the Egyptians were not cattle raisers, but the but the Israelites were, and so they had they had flocks. So seventy five of them went went to the land of Egypt, and there they they became fluent affluent, and they they grew. And when the time came, God sent Moses to them and said, "Bring my people out, release my people, turn my people loose." So he he went after his people, and his people were the descendants of Abraham. Okay, so when he went to get them, he was going to take them to another region. He said, I'm going to take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. It would be the land of Canaan. That's where they were going when Moses had them released from Egyptian bondage, and they crossed the Red Sea, and they went through the wilderness and went by Sinai. They received the law. And for 40 years they dwelt in the wilderness. And finally they came into the land that flows milk and honey. That was the region. So you can say, okay, these people were identified because of where they lived. Right? Where they lived. That's one way you can identify them as being Israelites. They were later known, because of their language, as Hebrews. They spoke the Hebrew tongue. Now, the word Hebrew doesn't appear a lot of times in the New Testament. Four or five times. And one of the times, it's it's, it's mentioned concerning the the tongue or the language. Remember, the one I'm going to mention to you right now is, is the one on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, Pilate said, Here, write this name on on the this plaque on top of the cross. Remember what he said? Jesus, King of the Jews. He wrote it in three languages. Hebrew, that's their language, Greek, and Latin. Hebrew. Now, when when, uh, Paul was preaching, he was taken captive at one time when he went into the city of Jerusalem, and he was preaching, and he was preaching in the Hebrew tongue. 
And sometimes the term Hebrew is mentioned in other places on, on different occasions. John chapter 5 at verse 2, there's a mention of the fact that, that there was a pool in Jerusalem and in the Hebrew tongue, it says it was called so-and-so. But the point is that they had their language. The, the children of Israel had their region, they had their language, and they had their culture. Now their culture is defined in several places in the Old Testament. One, one place in particular, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 11, it involved dietary and behavioral activities. Deuteronomy chapter 7. They weren't supposed to intermarry with anybody else. That was one of, their, one of the issues that they had. Keep your blood, your DNA, pure. Intermarry with other Hebrews. So, keep your blood pure. Why? Well, because when Jesus came, he could trace his DNA if they had DNA at that time. They had it, but they didn't have a way to know what it was. Anyway, he could trace his genealogy back to David, who could trace his back to Abraham. Okay. So, they had their culture, and they they were told that they couldn't eat certain things. One thing that jumps to our mind right away is they, they weren't supposed to be drinking any blood. Now you'd say, well, who'd want to do that anyway? The idolaters did. In the idolatrous nation, they did. They, they killed the animal, they took the blood, and they drank it thinking that, because they knew about what we do, that is that life is in the blood. So they were taking the life of the animal by drinking the blood. Okay. God said, don't drink the blood. Don't do that. He also uh, told them that they were, there were certain animals they could and could not eat. One, of course, we know, we're aware of. They weren't to eat any pigs, hogs. So they, they had their dietary restrictions. And they had their behavioral customs. They were supposed, not supposed to cut their hair in a certain way. They had certain behaviors that they, they had to make sure that they were, they were uh, behaving properly toward one another. They, they had their rituals in, in the Leviticus chapter 19. They had the, the uh, different aspects of their life in terms of hygiene that was regulated for them. So now we have a people who are being identified by region, by language, by culture, and by blood. When Jesus came to this earth, he said that he was sent, Matthew 1, 21, and sometimes we run over this pretty quick because we don't let it impress us. He said he was sent to save his people from their sins. Who are his people? Well, I'll tell you, I can identify them because I know where they lived. I know what language they spoke. I know what their culture was. And I know what their bloodline was. These were God's people that he selected for a certain purpose. And when, when, uh, when Jesus healed a young, well, he didn't heal, he raised a widow's son, the widow of Nain. Luke chapter 7, you remember that story? They were carrying the, the uh, casket, the beer, what, what's called a beer, B-I-E-R. They were carrying it, they carried the casket of the only son of the widow, and Jesus stopped them in Nain, that was a city, and he reached up and he told the young man to get up. He raised him from the dead. 
And when the people saw that, they cried out, God has visited His people. Isn't that interesting? God has visited His people. And they were, they were saying, it's us. We're the ones He's visited. When Peter preached to an assembly of Hebrews in the temple, he told them in Acts chapter 3 at verse 22, he says, Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things that whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among his people. If you don't hear him, you're out. Isn't that something? From among his people. Now, let's look at God's people today. I said at the beginning, he has chosen a people. And I said, well, that's the God of heaven. And I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of his people. I'm sure you do too. That's why you're here. In 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9, and verse 9 and 10, it says, You are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that he should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in the times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. At one time you were not the people of God, but now you're the people of God. Okay. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, it says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Get out of the idols temple. Get out of the world and come be my people. Come be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Okay. So he says, you can be my people. Now, as far as language is concerned, we'll discuss that in just a minute. Let's talk about the region or the borders. There are no borders. There's no region, no geographical region for the people of God. Jesus, when he rose from the dead... And he met with his disciples and apostles on the mountaintop. On two different occasions we hear, we read this instruction. Go ye into all the world, he said, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And he said, that's Mark 16. And in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go therefore and teach all nations teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. He said, but baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the world. So the geographical region of the people of God now is spread out. There is no boundary. There's no particular region for the people of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 says, So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. 
So there's the region. The words to the, all the ends of the world. That's where the word has gone out. Those who hear the gospel. Those who repent of their, their past sins. Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. And express that belief by confession. That Jesus is the Christ. Or baptized into Jesus Christ. Rise and walk in this life. Where? I'll tell you what. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in Somalia. You can be in China. You can be in Italy. You can even be in Texas. And you can still be in Jesus Christ. Anywhere you are. I'd, I'd even say even Oklahoma. That's possible. The idea is that there's no region. There's no, no boundaries of the region. What about the language? Do we have a, a particular language? The language of the believer is the language of love. It's the language of compassion. It's the language of kindness, of mercy, of forgiveness. It's the language of encouragement and of tenderness. It's the language of our Master Jesus. His name is on our tongue. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. We know the warning given in Matthew chapter 12, verse 37, all of his people. By your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. We understand that when what Jesus meant when he said, and what James meant when he said in chapter 3, verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the language of God's people is a careful language. But it does good things, not bad. It's not, it is the language that expresses belief in Jesus Christ. It does not use the name of Jesus as a curse. Never. We don't use, God's people don't use his name as a curse. It's not the language of the sailor. It's not rude, corrupt, and, and uh, abrasive language. It is a language that I, I just defined and mentioned just a minute ago. It's a, language, it's a language that benefits people and hurts no one. What, is, what about the culture? What's the culture of the Christian? It's distinct from the culture of the world. We've already read that, that uh, we're to come out from among them. His people are to come out from among them. Be ye separate. His people are new creatures in Christ. They've put off the old man, have put on the new man, which is renewed after the image of him that created him. Pattern after the, after the Savior. You can find His people helping the helpless. You can find them encouraging the downtrodden. You can find them teaching the lost. You can find them forgiving the, sir, the sinner and loving the loveless. That's what God's people, that's the culture God's people have. What about the blood in their veins? The blood in their veins is how they're related to one another. And that blood is the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the connection. Ephesians 2 verse 13 through 15 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes are far off, are made near by the blood of Christ. His blood flows in the veins of His people. You know what that is? Can you see can you see a specific one in there somewhere? 
Can you pick one out? But you know what? If you had just one of those in a corral full of cattle, you'd be able to say, well, that's a sheep. I know him. But here he is among, among all of your other friends. There he is. Now, how about that? What are those? Goats. Sheep and goats. And I can't tell the difference between them. Can you? I can't. I can't tell the difference in sheep. Jesus said, however, I know my sheep. They hear my voice. Okay. One more. What's that? People. That's just people. Tell me, which one's the Christian? You know, these, these come from the internet. I'm, I, I'm not hardly any good at, at, uh, at things like this. John and Kathy helped me along these lines and, and give me these pictures and help me put them up. So I looked through the internet and I'm looking, I'm thinking, what kind of picture can we use to show everybody people? So I looked at crowds. So you know, some of the some of the times I, I got some pictures that, that showed lots of people, but some of them had on red, and you, you could see all those that were in red and some were all wearing blue. Well then you could tell the difference, couldn't you? Well these these are probably for this team and these are for the other team. But here you can't tell anything, can you? You really can't tell anything. How do you know the people of God? How can you find them? How can you see them? <laughs> Jerry knows. We've just been talking about it. We've been talking about their language because of the language they use. We've been talking about their culture, how they behave themselves. It's not what you wear, the clothing you wear. I was going to mention this. Uh, in the Old Testament, when God chose the children of Israel, he gave them a certain type of clothing they could wear. And one of them is Leviticus 19, if you read it. They couldn't mix mix uh, wool and flax <laughs> for clothes. So they had, to, they had to wear either all wool or all flax in, in their clothing, linen. Well, but there's nothing really that says anything about the type of clothes they wear except for the priest. Now God actually inspired different ones to, to make the clothing for the priest. We know that. So they, and they told them exactly how they make them so they would be distinguished and, and separate from all the people. The, the Levites who served as priests and high priests had different clothing, and it was designed of God. Today, if you were to say, well, how do you know these people Israel? And you know, the only thing that I could think of that I've seen is a little hat. It's called a kippah or yamalak. It's a little hat that the men wear. And so you say, well, okay, there's a Jew because you got the hat. you got the kippah. But God doesn't put a hat on our heads and say, okay, here's the Christian. Put on your Christian hat so everybody will know who you are, who you belong to. Put on your Christian boots. Yeah. Put on your whatever clothing. But he doesn't do that. He says, I'll tell you, friends, a person says in, in chapter Acts chapter 11, verse 26, Acts 11, 26, the, Christians, the disciples are called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians. They had, the, the name of Christ is named upon them. In Acts 26, verse 28, Paul was preaching to Agrippa, the king. And while he waxed eloquent and he 
convinced him of the fact that Jesus was the Christ? Agrippa said, well, hold it, hold it. Are you trying to make me a Christian? He said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian? And then in 1 Peter 4, verse 16, this is only three times this, this word appears in the New Testament. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God on this behalf or through this name. Where are you going to, how are you going to identify a Christian? By their language? Yes. By their culture? Yes, their behavior. You're not going to find Christians in the drunk tank having gone on a binge on Saturday night. You're not going to find them there. You're not going to find Christians at a rave. You're not going to find Christians at a riot. You're not going to find Christians carrying on in the idol's temple. You're not going to find them there. Where are you going to find them? You're going to find them at Bible study? Sure you will. You're going to find them at church, hearing the Word of God? You're going to find them helping the poor? You're going to find them working, helping the helpless? You're going to find them loving those that are loveless? You're going to find them doing the works of Jesus Christ. That's where you're going to find them. And in the name of Jesus Christ, that's where you'll find them. Look for them. They're around. Thank you very much for your attention this morning. I have heard of the